So now we are continuing our study in the doctrine of salvation and redemption applied by now looking at the next act in the Ordo Salutis. And just, you know, at the very outset, so if you notice throughout the, the lesson, if you hear my voice somehow cracking, I am going through a second bout of puberty. So I am excited. I'm hoping that I gain a couple of inches during this second bout of puberty that I am going through right now. So anyways, so, so far in this lesson, you know, we have seen and learned that those whom God has chosen before the creation of the world, he effectually calls and regenerates. This enables them to repent of their sins and exercise saving faith in Jesus Christ. Now, upon the exercise of faith and through the work of Jesus Christ imputed to them, they are now justified and adopted into God's family. Now, for many Christians, it would seem as though it's enough right there. We've been justified. We are now part of God's family. Our sins have been dealt with. What else needs to be done? Now, while it is true that our sins no longer condemn us, that does not mean that the process of salvation is complete in us. God, in working his grace of salvation in us, desires much more from us than just a mere acquittal of our sins. He wants us to be holy. He does not only want to ensure that sin no longer condemns us. He wants to make sure that sin no longer controls us. Now, while we have been declared righteous, we still have that inner pollution of sin that must be dealt with. And that dealing of that inner pollution of sin throughout our lives is what we call sanctification. So Paul writes in Romans chapter six, verse four. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. And then Paul, in another epistle, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, he says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So as you can see from just those two passages, aside from our sins being pardoned by God, he desires for us to walk in holiness. He wants us to live lives that reflects what God does, has done for us. So let's define our terms. What is sanctification? Sanctification is a work of God whereby a believer who has been called, regenerated, justified, and adopted is now set apart by God as holy. And being set apart, they are also through the work of the Holy Spirit being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ throughout their lives by continually putting to death the remaining corruption in their, in their flesh and continually living unto righteousness. So last Lord's Day, you know, we talked about justification and we talked about adoption. And I noted how oftentimes justification gets confused with sanctification and how it was important to keep those things distinct. So just by way of review, so that we don't create any confusion. So you know, when we talk about justification, remember, justification dealt with the sinner's state before God. 
Sanctification deals with a person's remaining corruption. In justification, a person is declared righteous through the imputed work of Christ, whereas in sanctification, a person is being made righteous through the work of the Holy Spirit. In justification, sin no longer condemns the believer, whereas in sanctification, sin no longer controls the believer. In justification, sin is pardoned. In sanctification, sin is subdued. Now, in understanding the doctrine of sanctification, it's important to note, you know, when you look through the scriptures, you'll notice that sanctification, you know, the word sanctification and, and how it's used in scriptures, it's used in, in two different ways. We see in one aspect, when you read your Bible, that we have already been sanctified. But then we also see in scripture that we are being sanctified. For example, in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 2, in regards to us already being or having been sanctified, Paul says to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 11, or starting in verse 9, excuse me, 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. So we see in passages like this an indication that those who are in Christ have been sanctified. But then we also see in scriptures other passages that tell us that we are being sanctified or in the process of, sanct of sanctification. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 3, for example, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. He's talking to Christians. In that same epistle, in chapter 5, verse 23, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12, verse 14, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. So we see both of these distinctions clearly in Scripture. And being that the scriptures give us this distinction, we are to understand sanctification in two different aspects. In one aspect, sanctification is definitive. In another aspect, sanctification is progressive. So let's talk about both of these aspects. First, definitive sanctification. In definitive sanctification, God sets apart the believer as holy. The believer was once in the world, and then God called them, regenerated them, justified, and adopted them into his family. In doing all of these acts, the believer is now distinguished from the rest of the world. God has set them apart as distinct. They are now considered holy. Now, in being set apart in this manner, that does not mean, especially when we say that they're holy, that they are perfected and pure. No. They are rather set apart. They are distinct. There is still that remaining corruption of sin that has to be subdued. That being said, the Christian is no longer under the dominion of sin. 
Sin is no longer its master, their master. The believer now has a new master, a better master. Romans chapter 6, we see in verses 20 through 22, Paul saying, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that God has been set, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. So we have a new master, a better master, God. And being that we now have a new master, we also as Christians have a new title. We are now saints. A couple of examples, Romans 1 verse 7. To all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints. Ephesians 1 verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus. See, unlike the Roman Catholic misconception of the title of saint or sainthood, any person who has been justified and adopted into God's family is a saint. The Bible doesn't know of any distinction of Christians where there's, only, there's one class of Christians who are so holy, so good, that only they get the title of sainthood. No. If you are in Christ, if God is your master, you are a saint. So again, in definitive sanctification, we are now set apart as holy God is our master. We are saints. Now let's take a look quickly at progressive sanctification because when typically we're talking about sanctification, when most people are talking about sanctification, it's progressive sanctification that they are referring to. And in progressive sanctification, the believer who has been set apart now undergoes the process in which he is being conformed into the image of Christ by continually putting to death the remaining corruption and putting on righteousness. Being that God ultimately wants for us to be holy, that's why he set us apart, in order for that to happen, the inner pollution of sin that's still remaining within us has to be stripped away and replaced with righteousness. In our progressive sanctification, that's exactly what's being done. Now, when we talk about um, progressive sanctification, there are two sides that we want to be mindful of. You have the negative side, and the positive side. In the negative side, we're talking about putting to death the remaining corruption that is within us. And in the positive side, we're talking about putting on righteousness. So let's take a look at both. The negative side, putting to death that remaining corruption. You know, as believers, as we saw, sin is no longer our master. However, we still have to deal with sin's pollution in us. There will be moments and instances in which our old nature will try and stray us away by tempting us to indulge in sin. And since we still have that remaining corruption within us, we have to daily be killing sin. It's like the old John Owen quote, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Romans chapter 6, verses 12 through 13, Paul says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. 
And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as a to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. You're God's vessel now. You are God's possession now. You are God's slave now. Therefore, act accordingly. Don't act according to your old master, but to your new master. Romans 8, 12 through 13. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you're living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You're putting to death those former lusts, those former sins, those, that inner pollution within you. Colossians 3 verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So we see just in, this is just a, a tiny sample of the passages that talk about what's required in sanctification, the putting to death of that remaining corruption. However, it doesn't just end with merely putting to death and killing, putting to death our old corruption and killing sin. There has to be a positive side as well. There has to be the side where you are putting on righteousness because if all you are doing is killing sin, which isn't bad, but if that's all you are doing and then you're not replacing that with righteousness, you're leaving a void for more sin to come and torment you. Therefore, along with putting to death the remaining sin, the remaining corruption within us, we must also be putting on righteousness. Now, how a believer does that is by pursuing holiness. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit. There goes that negative aspect. And then perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And then we have Hebrews 12, verse 14, which I think I already read before, but I'll read again. Pursue, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. So again, we see both aspects. I think another good passage is Philippians 4, verse 8, where Paul says, and I'm paraphrasing, but you know, whatever is true, whatever is pure, whatever is good repute, to dwell on those things. So it's not that we just no longer dwell on that which is evil, but now we must dwell and think on that which is good. Both aspects are necessary the putting off and the putting on as well, the pursuing of holiness along with the killing of sin. Now, in this pursuit of holiness that all believers are called to, there will be up days and down days. Some days, to give an example, some days you will be like Mike Tyson in his prime when it comes to sin, just pummeling every instance of temptation that comes your way. Other times, you'll be like Mike Tyson towards the end of his prime where you're not getting a lot of wins. But with that, your progression, whether you have your up days or down days, over time, that progression will be positive. While it may be imperfect in this life, you will grow more and more victorious over time. Our Confession of Faith has a chapter on sanctification, chapter 13. And listen to what it says in sections two and three. They write, 
this sanctification is throughout in the whole man, yet imperfect in this life, there abiding still some remnants of corruption in every part, whence ariseth a continual and irreconcilable, excuse me, war, the flesh lusting against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, in which war, although the remaining corruption for a time may much prevail, yet through the continual supply of strength from the sanctifying spirit of Christ, the regenerate part doth overcome. And so the saints grow in grace, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So there may be some times, some moments in which sin may be victorious for a slight battle. But over time, the believer gets the victory. John tells us in 1 John 5, verse 4, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Though we may lose some battles from day to day, we as Christians win the overall war against sin in our lives. Because God has given us his spirit, we are supplied by the spirit's strength to overcome our flesh, this is why we are called to walk by the Spirit. Remember, Paul says in Galatians 5, verses 16 through 17, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. So now, when walking by the Spirit and the pursuit of holiness... We ought not think about this in, you know, this Eastern mysticism sense in which, you know, following after the spirit means just going with the flow or feeling our way through life as though the feeling is somehow the influence of the Holy Spirit. No, not at all. God has given us means by which we know that we are following after the spirit. And those means also help to aid in our growth and to grow. And sanctification. And if you have been members of this church for any amount of time, it should come as no surprise what those means are. The first, the Word of God. You know, both in our personal reading of the Bible and us listening to the Word of God preached, it is through the Word that we understand how we are to live and whether we are committing any sin. So a person who is committed to sanctification must be committed to the word of God. I mean, what did God, Jesus himself say in the high priestly prayer? Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. David says in Psalm 119 verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. When Paul leaves the Ephesian church, he tells them in Acts 20, verse 32, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. The word is able to do that. Along with the scriptures, we also have prayer. Let's not forget one of the privileges that we get being adopted children of God. We have access to the throne of grace with boldness. We can communicate with him. Well, that communication by means of prayer is vital, especially when you're dealing with sin, when you're dealing with temptation. 
I mean, our very Lord himself, Jesus Christ, when he gave us the form of how we are to pray in the Lord's Prayer in one of the petitions, says, lead us not into temptation. That was one of those petitions that he gives. So we have prayer also to aid in our sanctification. We also have, of course, the sacraments, both in baptism, but especially in the Lord's Supper. I mean, you know, we say this each and every Lord's Day, but I want you to really think about this. Remember what you ought to be doing in preparation for the Lord's Supper. You're supposed to be examining your lives for any sinful patterns in order to repent of them. Remember what you ought to be doing as you're partaking of the Lord's Supper. You ought to be contemplating the work of Christ and confessing your need for him alone for your salvation. Remember what you ought to be doing after you partake of the Lord's Supper. <coughs> you ought to be examining yourself throughout the week and asking yourself how you have benefited from the Supper. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> I don't have COVID, by the way, so we're all good here. <coughs> if you did benefit... <coughs> You are to strive to continue to walk in holiness and to keep an eye for any relapses. If you did not benefit, you are to examine yourself to see if there are any lingering sins that need to be repented of. This constant examining of yourselves week after week helps to ensure that you are not falling into any temptation and therefore ensures that you're growing in holiness. And the last means... And an often ignored or forgotten means or aid. And that's the fellowshipping of the saints. I mean, listen to what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10, verses 23 to 25. He says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. You know, being around other committed brothers and sisters is another great means to aid us in our growth and our sanctification. You know, as Christians, we can encourage one another. If we see a brother or sister stumbling, we can go to them. We can lovingly talk to them. You know, there's a reason why Paul, or Solomon says in Proverbs that he who isolates himself seeks his own desire. Paul writes in Galatians 6 verse 1, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. So we have these means that can aid and help to ensure that we are truly walking in holiness. And see, as a Christian who is striving to walk by the Spirit and is employing all the means given to them, well, they're going to start to exhibit fruit or good works. And see, in those good works is the byproduct of a Christian who is growing in sanctification. Remember, because we've talked about this plenty of times, works is not the means, is not the cause of our salvation, but that fruit 
that we produce, those works that we generate, are the proof that we are indeed saved. I mean, James himself says, we, saw, we read it last week, I'll read it again this week. James 2.18, but someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works. And I will show you my faith by my works. Our own confession of faith in chapter 16, the chapter dealing with good works, tells us this in section 2. These good works done in obedience to God's commandments are the fruits and evidences of a true and lively faith. And by them, believers manifest their thankfulness, strengthen their assurance, edify their brethren, adorn the profession of the gospel, stop the mouths of the adversaries, and glorify God, whose workmanship they are, created in Christ Jesus thereunto, that having their fruit unto holiness, that they may have the end, eternal life. So again, those works, that fruit, that's not what justifies you. But that fruit is the outworking, shows the fact that you indeed have been saved, that you are growing in sanctification. And if you exercise those means, if you're walking by the Spirit, you're going to start to produce some of those fruits of the Spirit. So let's recap on what we've learned today. We've seen and we've learned that sanctification is that work of God whereby a believer who has been called, regenerated, justified, and adopted is now set apart by God as holy and are also, through the work of the Holy Spirit, being conformed into the image of Christ throughout their lives by continually putting to death the remaining corruption in their flesh and continually putting on righteousness. Being that God did not merely justify us for us to continue to live sinful lives, he seeks to ensure that we are being transformed into the image of Christ through this work of sanctification. With us being given the Holy Spirit, we are empowered through him to grow in holiness. Along with the Holy Spirit, we have those divine means also given to us to aid in our sanctification, to ensure that we are walking by the Spirit in the word, in prayer, in the sacraments, and even in the church body itself. While we will not attain perfection in this life, we will grow in sanctification throughout our life. The ultimate end goal, of course, is our glorification. Now, while sanctification is conforming us into the image of Christ, we know that we are not quite complete with this ordo salutis, the order of salvation. There is still another act that goes on in conjunction with sanctification that we must discuss. And I'm talking about us as believers persevering in holiness. But this act, along with the final act, glorification, we're going to take a look at in our final lesson next Lord's Day.